that. Oh, it's raining. I, I can't go out. No, that's when you should go out. This sounds like, like one of those things you say in high school. Like, seriously, there's a pool on the roof and, and freshmen are only allowed in. Like, go up to the pool on the roof. It's up there. I swear. You'll see it. And then, boom, there's a car on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's convincing the driver that he's, it's going to be really slippery and really scary and you're going to give me less grip? Are you crazy? I promise you won't die. You know, I'm going to say almost the more of a slide that I'm in, the less they're, they're like, whoa, whoa. we're going to back off because <laughs> this is going to be a big crash. How are you a real boy? How do you leave the house? And there was a moment like you could see it in his eyes. He was part serious and part like, oh, like that was a thing he'd never thought of before. Like there's a, there's a way we could go do badass things here. And I, that's a, that's a thing. The job description of a race driver. Drive the car at its limits, no more, no, no less. Simple, right? Hi, it's Sam. This, right now, is a commercial for the podcast that you're already listening to. Is that weird? I don't know. Podcasts are weird. I'm sorry to interrupt, and I'll keep it short. So we have this thing called Patreon. You go there, and for a few bucks a month, you get to help support the show, but you also get neat perks like future bonus episodes, access to regular live Q&As with the three of us, and some rad speed secrets training from Ross. The money we raise through Patreon goes toward keeping the show on the air. Mostly, it lets us pay our producer, Mike, and kibble and shoelaces and whatever the hell else really nice guys from California eat when they're not editing podcasts. Now, should you spend a few bucks on this? Well, even a single month of support would help the show keep going. But we're not the boss of you, and that's okay. We're just glad you're listening, you know? Join at patreon.com forward slash not the car. Back to the show. Okay, so this is No Dumb Questions on It's Not the Car. And if you're familiar with No Dumb Questions from Speed Secrets, it's like that, but different. I'm Sam Smith, and you probably know the other two guys, but let's have them introduce themselves anyway. I'm Jeff Brown. I'm Ross Bentley, I think. You think? Well, I never quite know who I am today, any day of the week. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. on that note, um, coming, coming, from, uh, coming from the Pacific Northwest, we have a question from Bobby Colbin, who, Ross, you said, before we started taping, you said you actually know her, and that... She's local, and you've known her through track days, Pacific Raceways, and, and other things? Yeah, yeah. And she, I'm, I would say, took up the sport later in life and okay. has just followed her passion. And it is so cool to see her apparently like driven around the country to different tracks just to drive on tracks. You said, like, you, you said like, she's in her 70s and has a Porsche? And I don't know how, I, I don't know if she's in the 70s, but. For, forgive me, Ms. Coleman, if that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't look a day off over 29, personally, myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Bobby writes, I'm relatively new to the track. And like Ross, I live in the wet Pacific Northwest, which I take issue with. I lived in Seattle for five years and it never rained, ever. Yeah. Um, Bobby writes, the last three times I did lapping at the track, it was quite wet. Several incidents happened on the track those wet afternoons, meaning I'm assuming she means here somebody went off, somebody put a car on a wall. So on and so forth. Grass is very slippery. And I don't want my car coming in on a flatbed. So I drove quite conservatively. She asks, if I don't have a coach with me, how can I push it and learn and still be able to drive my car home after lapping? 
And I was reading this question for, before we hit tape on this and a couple of things popped into my head and there's, there's so many threads to pull here, right? Because the rain is, the, the rain is still physics. It's still a car. It's still, you're at the wheel. You still have four contact patches and weight transfer, but so much is different. And it's, it's one of those things that's hard to practice because you can't plan for the weather. So uh, things that, that I was wondering about, you know, how, how we get our head around the quote unquote risk in the rain. The fact that so many people see it as a riskier environment than driving in the dry, when in reality it's less risky because there's slower speeds and loads are less. What's different in setup? Do we like the rain? Is it wrong to not like it? Wrong in air quotes. And, you know, chiefly, how do you think about learning how to drive in the rain, learning how to be comfortable with the car moving around when, you know, nobody can plan the weather. We can't, we, we can't plan for something that we don't know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen or even if it's going to last, right? Wow, there's so much here. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I almost is. like, where do we, well, come on, where do we even start here? And, and yeah, I mean, how, the risk part of it, I think, is is a place to start because I think that's the single biggest, uh, you know, that's that's what causes people to, you know, pucker up and and the moment we start to drive cautious, we tense up our body. And therefore we actually have less feel for the car. And I think if we can just go in with the mindset of just relax, feel the car, feel the grip, feel where there is grip. And, and, and actually I think that's a really interesting point that it, that most drivers focus on where there isn't grip. The best drivers focus on where there is grip <laughs> and it's, you know, it's that whole, I'm going to say it's kind of that whole fixed growth mindset kind of a thing, but the very, very best drivers just focus on going, Oh, there's grip there. I'm going to go use that. There's some grip there. I'm going to go and use that. Whereas drivers who are not comfortable in the rain, they go out and go, Oh, I don't have any grip here. I don't have any grip here. And uh, so, yeah, one thing I, it's easy for us to s sit here and go, well, just relax. <laughs> there's no rest <laughs> risk out there. Just relax. Enjoy it. Don't think of pink elephants, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. I think one of the things that Ross and I've always talked about and that I always harp on, especially with new drivers, is your job as a driver is to drive the car to the limit of the four tires. Well, that doesn't change when it rains. Yeah. That doesn't change when you go to a super grippy new paved track, pick Watkins Glen that's got a lot of grip, or you go to a very low grip track or a bumpy track or one that's got rain or snow or ice. You know, you're still trying to drive. Your job is to drive it to the limit of those four tires. It's actually a little easier, I think, because things happen slower and over a longer period of time, it kind of telegraphs you the amount of grip when it's, when it's wet. So you get a little more time to go, oh, I'm sliding, I'm sliding. Whereas if you were in the middle of a, that same corner at maximum grip, it might just come unhooked and you spin, but here you get a little bit of time to feel it maybe. And so the job hasn't changed. It's just a different condition. It's no different than when your tires wear out and you have less grip, you're still driving it to the grip you have. It's lower than a brand new set of tires. And in the rain, it's just even way lower. So my, I think it was my second or third race that I ever did in a formula Ford in the Pacific Northwest at the old Westwood Motorsport Park outside of Vancouver. 
which had a nickname of Wetwood because <laughs> it was up on a mountain. All the clouds would kind of come off the ocean and pile up there and it would pour rain up there and you could <laughs> be in the rain up the at, at Westwood and basically looking down in the valley going, oh, that's all sunny down there. So, Wait, is it, is it still there? I've, no, no, it's a housing development now. So oh, oh, that's yeah, too bad. like everything else. I know. I know. It's, it's miserable. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and so it was like my second or third race and it was in a Formula Ford and it rained and I got my butt kicked. And I'm like, ah, I can't have this. Fortunately, the way the, the, the sports car club of BC ran these practice days on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, I think it was. So basically in the evenings, you could just go out there and I think it was like 10 bucks and you can go and drive your car on the track. So I basically had my Formula Ford loaded up so that every single time it rained, I would go to the track. And I can remember this big moment. And this was like probably the most important lesson I ever learned about driving was, you know, I'd go into a corner and I'd be like, kind of what Jeff was touching on here or talking about was, was I go into a corner and just like, oh, when's it going to snap? When's it going to snap? When's it going to snap? Oh, then it snapped. And then I'd react to it. But what I found was if I went into the corner and I started practicing this, I'd go into a corner and I would deliberately make the car do something. In this case, I'd make the car understeer. So I'd come into a corner and kind of come off the brakes a little bit quicker, turn the wheel a little quicker and like, boom, induce a little understeer. And it's like, I got it. I know what I've got to work with. Mm -hmm. And I drive through the rest of the corner being proactive with the car. And the next race, it rained and I kicked everybody else's butt. So yep. it was like a major learning experience. And by the way, that's what the best drivers do in the dry as well. Now, it may not be quite so dramatic, but the best drivers don't wait for the car to do something. They make the car do something. And that's what the best rain drivers do. I'm not saying I'm the best, but I learned a big lesson there. Oh, yeah. I've seen you drive in the rain, Ross. You're pretty, <laughs> pretty darn good. I mean, I, I, I think the other thing that you have is you like the rain and you have confidence and you're like, rain, bring it on. And and there's some drivers like, oh no, it's raining. I mean, I've had pro drivers like, you know, we're about ready to <clears throat> do whatever, 24 hours of Daytona. And they're like, oh no, it's going to rain. I'm like, well, that's Yay. really weird. You know, you're, you should have confidence in the rain. And you don't just get that. You don't say, okay, next time it rains, I'm going to have confidence. You gained it because you went out at wet wood and practice in it and got good at it and and started to enjoy it and understand it and then you thought you had an advantage over the other so you wanted it to rain it gave you great confidence so is it is it possible to you know that it's it's funny you know ross reading your books jeff talking about you know talking about setup and how drivers think and how cars think how cars think how cars work you know one of the things we talk about a lot is the notion that confidence and asking questions and being like being willing to improvise on the moment in the spot in the spot on the moment is it is half the battle there and that's that's one of the things i i you know i'm a middling club racer but it's one of the things i love about it is just the fact that in the wet everything's constantly changing the every corner is different in terms of whether it's how much water it's getting how much runoff there is what the pavement temps doing what the winds doing everything is different and the line that worked last last lap last week whatever it was in the wet might be unworkable 30 seconds later, a lap later, two corners later, whatever it is, the fact that everything hangs on some form of improv. But I, 
I'm a dork. I like the wet. I mean, Jeff, are there is it is it possible to be really really good in the wet and also hate it? I mean, if either one of you guys worked with drivers who are quick as hell when it rains but loathe it, like, or do those things just not go together? No, I've never had anybody like that. Maybe Ross yeah. has. I've had guys <clears throat> who love most of the pro guys, the good pro guys, love living on the edge. <laughs> and they don't really care whether that edge is in the wet in a production car in the middle of turn one at Road Atlanta at 70 miles an hour or in the dry in a GTP car when that same corner is 140 miles an hour. They don't really care as long as they're right on the edge. And the <laughs> edge is those four tires. So they, I don't think their job description changes. They love, you know, they love the rain. They love being on the edge. They love the changing conditions and who can adapt to it quicker. And like you said, Sam, the cool thing about the rain is it generally, maybe at Wetwood, but it doesn't, <laughs> always stay the same amount of rain or the same yeah. grip level. It changes lap to lap. It dries out. It gets wetter. It can change from parts of the track, have more rain in other parts. And Ross, you know, that's the, I know you've had that. It's hard to coach that, isn't it? How do you, we've seen pro driver, we've seen bronze rated, silver rated, kind of really good semi pros just they go out and they get a good lap in the rain, they get two, three, and then it starts to dry out and they don't adapt and they keep running their rain times where every, the pros have gone quicker and quicker and quicker. I, I think, uh, and you know, we've talked a little bit about this. I can't remember, you know, on the show or off the show or whatever it was been, but you know, about how kids are not afraid to be wrong. <laughs> yeah. The very best drivers are not afraid to be wrong. Right. And you know, I often, I, I, I've over the past few years have talked about driving in the rain at Mid-Ohio and Mid-Ohio with its like 87 different surfaces. <laughs> uh, a patch on a patch on a patch on a patch. Exactly. And then boom, and, concrete for some reason. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> but there are places where as you learn that, if you, if you experiment and you go, I'm going to try over here, I'm going to try over here, I'm going to try over here. And, you know, I'm, I'm totally disappointed that they've just resurfaced it because- it's going to take some of that, that, um, uh, Sam, you talk about how being curious, I think the best drivers are curious and it's not just the, I want to drive at the limit. Well, it, it is, I want to drive at the limit, but you have to be curious to go, Oh, well, what would happen if I put the car here? And, you know, I think about doing a race at mid Ohio a few years ago and you come down the back straight and you come into China Beach and whatever number you're calling that corner these days um, with whatever layout it is and the right-hander at the end of the back straightaway. And I would turn in and you just basically slide across the the sealed surface and go in. The car is like 10 miles an hour <laughs> over the grip limit here. But guess what? There's about a three foot strip on the outside of this before the edge of the track where it's got grip. So you just kind of slide across it and boom, you hit this, 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 it's like a, uh, a motocross rider on a berm yep. and it's like, boom, got it. And you go around the corner and I would watch other drivers and uh, they're not doing that. They're not using that. They're, they're either driving the dry line because you got to be consistent or the theoretical rain line, which is, you know, just off of the dry line, but they're afraid to try other things. And I think, uh, 
again, the best drivers are not afraid to try things and, and find something, find something that works. And that brings, you know, afraid, not afraid to try things. I'm always amazed at the number of people that are afraid to try things. You know, yeah. they'll, they're, they're at a practice day, a track day, even an IMSA practice session, and it's going to rain. And okay, you know, you're at a pro level. Sometimes it's hard to go risk your car if you're going to, you know, in the morning warm up, if it's not going to rain in the race and it's raining in morning warm up, it's really hard to tell yourself, I'm going to just go out and get some practice in and throw it around and, and see what happens because you could destroy the car before the race. So there's some limitations to that. But the number of people I see, especially at a track day, amateur learning level, that, oh, it's raining, I, I can't go out. No, that's when you should go out. <laughs> Ross and I always talk about this. Yeah. That's when, that's like the greatest thing. Because again, it gives you a much easier way to feel the limit of the tires. You can apply that when it's dry too. So you can learn so much. You're going to make yourself a much better driver in the dry if you go out and run in the rain. I know God. Ross got has I, thoughts on that too. Well, no, as you were talking about that, I'm... Uh, my mind flashes back to when I was coaching in rallycross and uh, one of the guys that was running at that time was Ken Block, who I don't think Ken was ever afraid to try <laughs> something, <laughs> you know, like he was, he was a hoonigan. I mean, he was, like, it was just a goofball, you know, I'm going to go and play and do this. And the number of times that I'd be coaching my drivers and, I'd be, you know, up in the spotter stand and I'd be coming down afterwards and I'm walking through the paddock and can be there. And, you know, he always found a way to find me in the paddock at every event and have, and ask me some questions. <laughs> like he was constantly wanting to learn. So <laughs> one of the things I really respect about, about Ken and, um, but the number of times after a practice session, I'd go, nice job, nice job experimenting. <laughs> He tried more different lines than any other driver whatsoever. Wow. Now in rallycross, it, it's kind of like driving in the rain because the surface was changing constantly. And there were times where during a race and there were short little races where he would all of a sudden have like a big, big advantage over everybody else. And it was because the track changed in a way and he was on a part of the track that he learned and he drove, he had driven before, whereas everybody else had just tried to perfect the one fastest line. <laughs> and uh, so it, it just, it, it's the same thing. So about, about, I guess, well, 15 years ago, I right, right before the first Jim Connor videos started coming out, I, I did a profile on Ken for, I think it was automobile, for automobile magazine and went and hung out with him at the new England forest rally. Nobody really knew who he was. He had just, he was five or eight years or whatever is off, whatever it was off selling his company. Cause he founded DC shoes with the skateboarder Damon way, I think. So these two guys found a shoe company, make a lot of money. Shoe company gets very large. They sell the shoe company and he takes all his money and he goes into his passion. And then one of his passions was cars. So he starts doing over the road rallies, you know, just kind of big party rallies like the gumball 3000. And that event eventually turns into club level and then national club level stage rally in the United States, you know, closed, closed stages, roads, dirt, all that. And I went, this was shortly after he had started running factory back Subarus. I went to new England and 
hung out with him for a couple of days and met his wife and his daughter, Leah, who is now driving, yeah. driving mm-hmm. his cars in his, uh, in her mid twenties, I think she, she was maybe a year old at that point, which shows you how long ago it was. But toward the end of the thing, he, right before I left, he was like, do you want to ride the car? And I'm like, he's just the, he was the nicest guy, just <laughs> open and friendly and just kind of a big, you know, like the rest of us, just a, a goofy dude who happened to be in, in a neat place with neat equipment. And I said, yeah, and this was before I had been to, you know, rally school or had any real seat time doing much of anything. And he walks me over and I meet some of the crew guys and meet the damper guys. And, you know, there were all these people kind of ported in from various parts of the motorsport world. And it turned out I ended up getting a ride with him in the right seat, in the car driver's seat on a, uh, I think on a shakedown stage. Because rallies have, you know, short shakedown areas where they can run and tune suspension and stuff. Long story short... I, I sat there and I just watching him, you know, rally drivers use, use their left foot and use left foot braking as kind of a rheostat to both pin and pivot the car and control the amount of rotation at any given point. You know, everything is both, every corner is both a plan and an improv for those guys. But just sitting there watching him do that and how comfortable any of those guys are and everybody I've been around ever since in that sport is, I just, I love the notion of looking at it looking at car control, looking at vehicle control, looking at the way we think about motion as a constantly changing thing where you don't just put in one, turn in at this BIP, hit that BIP, track out at that BIP. It's no, this is how we paint. And sometimes the brush looks different. Sometimes the canvas looks different. I mean, Jeff, do you, is, is set up like that? Cause I mean, the general rule with racing stuff, with motorsport stuff in, in the wet is softer, more compliant, more gradual weight transfer, but is, are there any situations where the, those rules aren't hard and fast or is it pretty much always, you just chase the same ideal? Yeah, it's so for most of the racing that I've done lately, there are long enough races where it's unlikely it's going to be raining the whole race, you okay. know, 24 hours a Daytona. It's like, it has, <laughs> I was going to say, it's not going to rain for 24 hours. <laughs> And suddenly my brain flashed back to that time it did. And, oh, that was a disaster. But, but generally it doesn't. So no, that was, that was really cool race. That wasn't really, <laughs> nah, I didn't do so good. So not for me, but it, it was, um, it, so it, it's worse in my opinion, <clears throat> if you compromise the dry setup for a wet, for the wet, that's generally a worse combined result than if you don't do that. Okay. So in, so I'll almost always run the dry setup and let the driver. And then I just tell the driver, all right, it's on you because (laughs) you know, you got to deal with this. Um, deal with this meaning like here's a slightly spicy car. That's probably not going to be as easy to drive as otherwise. Right. 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 And you can do some things with tire pressures and that's about it. Um, some of the modern, like uh, a modern LMP2 car, you can change the downforce pretty quickly on that car on the back by taking the whole back end off and putting it on about 30 second change. <laughs> so you can do some little things like that. But if you know it's going to rain and it's, you know, you have a 30 minute race and it's raining all day and you know it's going to be wet, then generally, yeah, softer. You, you don't want to, people always wonder, well, what do I do? And, and for me, it's always think about, Ross and I have talked about this. If you're going to go walk on an ice skating rink, what you don't want to do is 
like if you want to turn left, you're walking straight and you want to turn left on ice skating, you don't want to put out your right foot, plant it hard and push off of that because it's going to slip and you're going to fall. You want to be like a cat, you know, really nimble and really, really light and delicate. So you don't want a really stiff spring that is just going to push that tire into this no grip wet surface because it's going to slide. So you want to put that load in the tire in a much softer, more gentle over a longer period of time and the, give the tire a chance to grip the, grip the low grip surface. So yeah, bars, springs, shocks, softer is if you know it's going to rain. Does, does the arrow approach change at all? And, and, and what else does that tie into? I see Ross smiling. <laughs> I, I was going to, I was like, come on, Jeff, talk about the arrow thing. I know. You and I, know I, I knew this was going to come up. You and I kind of have a, we agree on this, uh, but it's a, I, a lot of people don't agree with us. I, I think I would be, I'm not sure I've met anybody or many people that agree. Some of them agree with me, like, in theory, but. Okay, so wait, so back up. So what's the question? What's what's the thing we're agreeing or disagreeing on? Because I Just have no what idea what's... Said, what do we do with the arrow? Okay. More downforce, less downforce, right. I guess. Okay. Yeah. So what do what's the common com conventional the common wisdom thing on this is, is? You have less grip, right? Yeah. Okay, so you gotta pile the downforce on it, right? To push the car into the track, right? Because you have less grip, let's put downforce on it and push the tires into the track better. Okay. I've had good luck going the exact opposite way. I take <laughs> the, face, the face you just made was great. You're just like, it's because so many people disagree with me, which is good. I actually like that because I've had good luck beating those guys. Okay. So unpack it. So why, what's the reasoning? First off, what's the reasoning behind doing the, the way you do it? And, and how did you arrive at that? Right. I, I arrived at that at road America, I think I was running an IndyCar. Yeah, I was. I was running okay. an IndyCar at Road America. We were, okay, we were like a mid-pack car. Okay, not terrible, but but we weren't going to win on speed. And then it started, it was going to rain for the race. For sure, it was going to be one of those rain races. And I was like, okay, so we're in the middle of the pack. We're running around. If I put a bunch of downforce, if I can put more than everybody else, that'll be good, right? Because I'll have more grip in the corners. And I'm talking to my driver and I said, so we'll put downforce in, we'll go and you'll go down the front straight area at Road America and you'll just, because you'll have more grip, you'll just drive right around the outside of them all. And he's like, really? I said, well, you'll have more grip. He goes, not that much more grip. It's still raining out. It's still, I'm still floating on water. You know, I'm not going to have <laughs> double the grip. I need double the grip to pass this guy on the outside. This sounds like like one of those things you say in high school, like seriously, there's a pool on the roof and, and freshmen are only allowed in. Like go up to the pool on the roof. It's up there. I swear. You'll see it. And then boom, there's a car on the wall. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and so I started thinking about that. I thought, yeah, you know, okay, so if you have more downforce, are you really going to drive around the outside of the guy, pick your corner, turn five, the carousel, the kink. Oh, I'll just drive around the outside of him in the kink, in the wet. <laughs> well, you can't put enough downforce to make that possible. So you're going to follow him in the kink, right? You're going to come out of the kink and you have more downforce. 
which means more drag. And he's going to drive away from you into Canada corner. And then you're going to catch him under braking because you have more downforce. And you're going to drive around the outside of him or even dive on the inside of him in the wet. No, it's just not going to happen. So let's take wing out of it. Follow the guy in the kink and just drive by him on the straightaway. Get to Canada corner and make him try to drive around the outside of us. He's not going to be able to do it. So you take wing out, you go fast on the straightaways, and you're going to be even with more downforce, kind of the same speed in the corners. And the hardest part about making that work isn't undoing the bolts and lowering the flap. It's convincing the driver that (laughs) it's going to be really slippery and really scary. And you're going to give me less grip. (laughs) Are you crazy? I promise you won't die. Yeah. So, so does that, does that, so road America's got, if you haven't been there, road America has big, long straights, fast corners, but there's a lot of time where you're just punching through air in a straight line. So does that, the drag that, that all makes sense there, but does that equation change on shorter tracks where there's, there's more percentage of time spent in corners? I would say yes. Yes. If you have a really, I know, I I would say that's not the best approach for lime rock, for example. Sure. Right. But it works fantastic at Long Beach. <laughs> and people go, Long Beach? All these straight little corners? Yeah, little corners where nobody passes and one giant straightaway where <laughs> that's where you can pass. Rain at Long Beach? Man, that is a no-brainer for me. Take all the wing out of it. So, and and I've, I've had it work for me at Road Atlanta, which really? has got a lot of corners, but it does have a pretty long straightaway. Yeah. And if it, it, it's, it's so... Uh, Counterintuitive. Uh, <laughs> It feels like you're cheating when you come out of turn seven and you just drive by people on the straightaway because they piled all the downforce they can and you just go past them on the straightaway. And then, you know, you're going through 10A, 10B, you're coming down through 12, you get into turn one, you look in the mirror and there's like a stack of cars behind you, but they can't pass you. So you wiggle your way all the way through there. And, you know, I'm going to say almost the more of a slide that I'm in, the less they're, they're like, whoa, whoa. we're going to back off because <laughs> this is going to be a big crash. Yep. You know, I struggle my way around, get to turn seven, boom, I'm down the straightaway. And now I've lengthened that out again. Yep. So it, it, it works. Okay. It's, so what's, what's the, so, I mean, if every, what's the old line, uh, fear is just based in losing something. Like anytime anybody's afraid of doing something, they have something they don't want to lose. So what's, what, I mean, the, the, the whole MO with racing is if something works, people flock to it, right? If somebody's doing something everybody else isn't and it works, then everybody goes in that direction. So why, why is there a counter argument and what's the counter argument? Why don't people do it? I think it's really, I, I mean, I've had, even recently, I've had that situation arise. I give my theory to the drivers. I give them my best argument, even to the point of like, look, just I've been doing this a long time. Just trust me. Let's try this. And they're like, oh, no, we can't do that. And I've had a bail. It's getting the driver buy-in. Really? And then, of course, there is some aspect of the driver's confidence. And this maybe comes right back to where we started. If they're used to driving in the rain or they like driving in the rain or they've done it before, they're like, yeah, okay, a little less grip in the rain. Man, I'm not good. It's so much lower that another 3% low, we're, you know, we're, we've lost 70% of our grip. I don't care whether it's 72% or 68%. It's a lot. I'm not going to really notice. So take the wing out and I won't really notice that Hmm. I've lost that extra little bit. That's the 
that's the only reason I think a lot of people don't do it. Man. And I get the argument, oh, but you, you get much better braking because you have more drag. True, but you're going to just go whizzing by me under the brakes in the rain when the car is all slippy and slidey and doing all of that? Not likely. Yeah. One of, so several, I, I love the notion that some people are just wired differently for this and you can tell based on how they look at things like that, right? So several years ago, um, actually a mutual friend of all of ours, uh, Marshall Pruitt, the journalist, I went, Marshall invited me, when I was at RNT when I was at Road and Track, Marshall invited me down to Indianapolis for qualifying for the 500 one May. And I had never been to Indy when, you know, current cars are running at speed and I mean, it seemed like a great idea. And who says no to that? And I drove down and met him there. And we kind of walked around all day. And I, it was great because I just had, you know, this, this Sherpa walking me through this thing I didn't understand at all but loved. And I would ask all kinds of dumb questions all day long. And Marshall being Marshall would just be like, well, this is a thing. And let's go ask so-and-so. And I'd say, well, what about this? And how does this work? And he'd say, there's Dario. And then we'd go ask Dario Franchitti. And I'd be like, Dario doesn't want to hear from me. He's like, no, Dario <laughs> likes talking about these things. And we talked to him and I, we walked away. I'm like, Dario said a thing and I listened and he's like, you're a giant dork. Just keep walking. But we, we started walking and it was one of those days where, you know, one of the cool things about Indy is, as you guys know, but some people may not. So the grandstands have these gaps between them in the corners and famously because it's the Midwest and it's Indiana, the wind kicks up and the, the gaps between the grandstands act like venturis. So these big gusts into the corners that can suddenly send a car loose or pushing or, you know, whatever have you just change the balance of it. And, we're walking around and everybody, you know, in qualifying, everybody obviously has the cars trimmed out, low downforce, go as fast as possible, low drag, blah, blah, blah. And so people are just ripping around and ripping around and all the cars come in because the weather changes and people are actively, you, know, you see all these huddles in the pits and people are just talking about what to do and how and where, and the cars haven't run for a bit. And I looked at Marshall and I'm like, so will they, if the wind gets high enough, will they park it all? And he goes, mm, maybe just depends on the drivers, depends on the crew chief, depends on who and what and how much tire they have and all these other things. And I went, well, the, the drivers will actively not want to go out. He goes, oh yeah. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, they don't, some of them just don't like, and can you blame them? Some of them don't like being loose at 200 miles an hour unless they absolutely have to. And I, I kind of looked around and you know, the crazy thing about Indy is when you're standing there in the pits, you can't see more than about a hundred yards of the track at a time. And you think, you know, most ovals, you can stand in one place and see the whole thing. And Indy's the bank and the way the, you know, the way it works and just the way the, the radius of the corners works, radii of the corners work. You can't always see everything. So I, I kind of stand there and I get up on my tiptoes and I look to see the rest of the track and there's nobody out there. And, and he, he goes, well, you know what? Um, I bet you, I bet you there are people here who would run this place in the wet. And I went, re, 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 really? <laughs> And, 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 and I looked at him and he just kind of went, yeah, let's go ask. And so we walked down the line and he picked like four or five drivers and just goes, Hey, you know, it starts, has a nice little polite conversation with him. How's it going? What's going on? Um, oh, by the end, by the way, um, would you, uh, if it rained here, what would you do? Would you, would you go out and like out of the five or six guys we talked to, three of them were like, mm, no. And he started changing the question to like, you know, the point being like, if it rained and they let you run in the rain, because they don't run at the end, they don't run Indy cars at Indy on the oval in the rain. And he started changing the question to was to question to if they had a race here in the rain, would you go out? And we got through another couple of guys and they were like, eh, maybe. And he's like, you know, you know who would definitely do this? And I went, no, because Marshall knows a lot of stuff I don't know. And that's a long list. And 
he looks at me and he goes, well, Montoya would do it. And, and I think, I think Sebastian would do it. And I went, Bourdais? And he went, yeah, let's go ask him. I'm like, how do we do this? And he goes, we walked down there and asked him. And he right. gave me this withering martial look that was like, how are you a real boy? How did you leave the house? And I was just like completely just overwhelmed by everything happening. We walked down to Bourdais and Bourdais has, you know, he's French. He has this accent. It's very polite, very clean cut. Starts talking to him. He's like, Sebastian, blah, 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 blah. Hello. This. Oh, by the way, if they ran a race here, would you, uh, in the rain, would you go out? And he'd like, not even a beat. He just went, oh, yeah, yes, yes, completely, totally. He thought for a second. He goes, oh, wait. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a moment, like you could see it in his eyes. He was part serious and part like, oh, like that was a thing he'd never thought of before. Like there's a, there's a way we could go do badass things here. And I, yep. that's a, that's a thing. I, I just- it doesn't that. surprise me. I've run Sebastian. <laughs> I've engineered him before. He would really? do that. And so I've, I've got one kind of along that same line. I'm at Indy as a youngster. Uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. We went down to the, to the speedway in yeah. May, my family, and we never saw a race. We always went for practice because we knew some people, um, who could get us like in the garage area. I couldn't as a, as a, Young kid, they had the 18-year-old rule back then and stuff. But anyway, we got to know some of these guys. And we were good friends with Dan Gurney and knew Dan well and all of that. So we would go and hang out with with the All-American Racer guys. We're just going to set aside the moment for the fact that you said we were good friends with Dan Gurney and yeah. knew him well because uh, that's like, yeah, Tom Cruise is a pal. And uh, also I know God and uh, <laughs> Satan's a buddy and like all these people. We just hang out. Go on. Sure. Okay. I'll ask about that later. But please. Okay. We can talk about Dan later. <laughs> yeah. But so we're, I'm at Indy and I was racing go-karts at the time. So I'm interested in more than just a, wow, these cars are fast. I'm like, yeah, I'm whatever, seven years old going, well, I think I, I'm going to do this someday. I better pay attention. I'll be here at India. I better start learning, you know, like every kid who wants to be whatever, astronaut or a race car driver. And so I'm watching and it starts to rain. And this is the 70s, like mid 70s. I'm thinking you'll have to check me on all these dates. Anyway, it was the first year that Jochen Rint had come to Indy. He had never driven there before, but the Europeans, the lotuses and you know all of that so it's his first year there considering he was killed in 1970 okay so it's the late okay <laughs> there you go so it's the late 60s for people who don't know rent formula one driver drove for lotus among other places right but a, a, like an a hero of the age and one of the like all-time greats right Oof. one of the like the like people said oh Jill's Villeneuve is like Rint, you know, like that fast, just lay a lap down, no fear kind of guy. Yeah. So anyway, Rint's out there running and it starts raining. Boom, everybody comes in with their cars and they all go back to the garage area. They just, back then you could just drive them through and they all drive through gasoline alley and go back to their garage. Except Rint, he stops in the pits and he's in his car and it's raining. <laughs> and the story goes, and I got this from one of the, Gurney's crew guys or his PR guy, whoever. The story goes that it's raining and he's sitting there. And no, I don't know if there were radios at the time. And one of the crew guys, hey, get out, get out. He goes, what? And he goes, you got to get out. It's raining. And he goes, are you telling me I'm here with this big professional team and we don't have rain tires mounted up? How long is it going to take to get the rain tires mounted up? And the crew guy's like, 
uh, we don't have rain tires. He goes, what's the budget for a thing like this? <laughs> and you don't, you didn't buy any rain tires. He goes, no, no, we don't in general. Nobody has rain tires. And he goes, oh, I don't understand. It took a long time for them to convince him that you don't drive around Indy in the rain. He was like, ready to go. Bolt them on. I'm, I'm going. Okay. So, so Ross unpack that for a second, right? So what I remember I was at a track day, but 20, 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, and somebody made fun of, you know, uh, just over racing in general on the fact that they don't run you know, NASCAR, IndyCar, they don't run cars on high-speed ovals in the wet. And at the time I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I guess that would be a thing. And naturally, the moment I learned anything about it, I'm like, I don't you know, no, it's way more complicated than that. Explain for somebody who doesn't know why you would do that, why you would not want to do that, especially since you've been to Indy, right? You've Ross been- is, I can, Ross, uh, Ross is going to yeah. say, yeah, we should do that. I can tell. <laughs> I can but why, tell. okay, well, what's the reasoning behind why the series don't do it? Why, or why what don't would they it run be that? like? Yeah. Yeah. Concrete walls. <laughs> the, the, I mean, that's the, the consequences of getting it wrong. Yeah. Um, is just higher. That's, right. you know, and you know, with many road courses, there is some runoff room before you hit something and you, you know, in the rain, you might be doing 120, you might be doing 160, but even at Indy in the rain, if they put rain tires on an Indy car and went out there in the rain, they'd still be doing 200 Yeah, <laughs> and hitting the wall at 200 is very, very different than hit, even hitting it at 150. Yeah. So it, it, that, you know, it's really just comes down to the consequences and the margin for error. You know, I don't, many people don't appreciate the precision, the subtlety of driving on an oval track. Yeah. And it, 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 it is way harder than a casual observer is ever going to notice. Like they just go, well, they're just turning yeah. left. They turn left. They turn left. They turn left. That's it. But the precision where, you know, on a road course, let's say your line might be, if you're a consistent driver, your line might be within six inches from lap to lap. At a place like Indy, if you're not within an inch, (laughs) within half an inch, you're not going to be consistently fast. So precision and, uh, you know, on on a road course, you can make a subtle throttle adjustment and the car moves a little bit. If you make that same subtle throttle adjustment in turn one at Indy, you're at Methodist Hospital. Yep. Yeah. So yep. It, it's just, it, it's, yeah, the precision, subtlety, and then the consequences. That's what makes the difference. Yeah, we talked about that. That makes sense for us. I mean, we talked about the four tires and being on that, the limit on an oval like that, you are right at the limit and any small change. Like you talked about, Sam, a gust of wind and you're, yeah. and you're gone because you are right on that limit on a road course. And we can prove this through data and things like that, but <clears throat> drivers know about this. Ross knows about this. You can actually exceed the limit for relatively long periods of time, <clears throat> you know, a 10th of a second, you can exceed the limit and bring it back and not crash on an oval. You don't do that. You yeah. exceed the limit. Well, we've seen all seen the amazing instances that just, you know, what is it? The, the thing that pro- proves the rule we we've seen, you know, the wiggle in turn one where they catch it and don't hit anything. Those are the, those are the exceptions. Exceptions. Yeah. 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 
It's, I mean, what's the old line, right? You know, if you're, if you lose it at Indy or if you lose it in a speedway in general, you don't try and save it because you're probably going to do more. You're, yeah. you're going to get the car, do more to get the car in a bad place than simply just riding it out. Right. I mean, yep. they, is, is that, is that basically hold true? I've never, no experience with any of it. Yeah. I mean, there's a kind of a gruesome photo of when Nelson Piquet went to Indy. Yeah. Jeff, you were, were you running the cars there when, when he was, I was uh, not, I, I was, it was close. I was in yeah, I couldn't, about to, but yeah, I, I knew all about that. Uh, you know, where he came out of four, got in a oversteer slide, counter steered, corrected it. And the thing just turned right and went boom into the wall. And I remember seeing the photo of somebody got this photo of his head is about three inches from the concrete Ooh. wall in the oh, cockpit. Man. And you're going, where's his feet? God. Where's the rest of his body? Yeah. And it's just, you know, so yeah, that, that kind of stuff is, is that's why they don't race in the rain on ovals. Yeah. Now, would I like to see it? And would I like to try it? And would I, yeah, because <laughs> uh, again, it's all about what Jeff said is it's, it's your job to drive at that limit. And, you know, I would say, the job description of a race driver, drive the car at its limits, no more, no, no less. Simple, right? Yeah. That's all you got to do. And it's, it's interesting too, that Indy evolved into that, right? Because until, until the advent of, you know, until really until the rear engine revolution, until, you know, the, the motors, they went from front engine rear drive cars that were big and heavy and carried a lot of fuel to smaller, lighter rear and mid engine stuff that turned and worked better in the fifties and sixties, you know, up until that point of the first half of the last century, you know, there was a, there was a school of thought and a tactic and, and it was, you know, embodied in guys like, you know, all, all the way up to AJ Foyt and starting all the way back, at, you know, in the twenties and teens that the cars were small enough, the tires were narrow enough, there was low enough grip and the way the place worked, the place was big and wide enough and you were only going so fast. I mean, in the fifties, they were still qualifying in what, one forties, I think. And, you know, you were going quick enough in a car that there was speed and massive risk. But, you know, you see footage of the 500s within the early road series, you know, these cars that by modern, any modern definition are trucks and they have big fuel tanks slung out behind the rear wheels. And, you know, guys like Foyt are dirt tracking them and they're sliding and there's massive correction in every corner, sometimes three or four times a corner. And that went away as the cars evolved and that's not good or bad. It's just what happened. But it, it, it's amazing to me that that place has evolved in the way it has and can kind of, you know, contain Walt Whitman, right? Contain the multitudes of that back in its history and yet can also hold a 220 mile an hour lap in a car that's an inverted wing with slicks wider than my desk. And, and that's, that's remarkable, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it stays the same. Yet it doesn't. Yep. Yeah. That's, it's crazy to go at, Every time I'd go back to Indy, you know, I was running, ran Indy cars for like, engineered them for like eight, nine years in a row. <clears throat> and so you do the month of May, then you go to the rest of the season, then you come back and you do the first test early in May, or if it was a rookie, uh, rookie orientation in April. And you stand there in the pit box at Indy and that first car goes by at full <laughs> speed. And I've done it for whatever, eight years in a row. And you're like, Holy smokes, that is fast. <laughs> I mean, it just goes, it covers that straight away in like no time. And the people who do it for a living 
are not jaded by it because yeah. it's so fast. And it, it, it never got old? All those years? No. It, oh, no. Really? No, 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 no. Oh, That's, man. It, it, Ross can talk about it uh, from a driving standpoint, but from I've had engineers ask me, they're like, hey, I got a job. I'm going to Indy for my first time, you know, as a data guy or a or assistant engineer or something like that. And, you know, you've done it. What's, what's your advice? And people, you know, all my guys on the crew said, Hey, it's just like any other race. And, you know, we just do all your normal thing and all of that. And I'm like, first advice is it is not at all like any other race, not even (laughs) close. I said, soak up all the pomp and circumstance and listen to the TV at night on who's doing what and who did this and who said that. And, just soak it all in. It's the same advice for somebody going to Lamar for the first time, but it is nobody, the people that tell you, and I don't care, ask Roger Penske and Chip Ganassi. They've done it an awful lot of times and they will tell you it is not like any other race. It is <laughs> special. And I think as a driver, I mean, you, you have to go there with, with, uh, as you're talking about Jeff, about how you kind of, get used to it, but you have to respect the place. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the best drivers that are most successful there, they, they're kind of used to that speed, but at the same time they have respect for it. And every now and then you see somebody show up that, oh, I can handle this speed and they don't respect it. And again, they get themselves hurt. Yeah. Yes. So it's uh, Indy in the rain. Yeah. I, okay. So what we do, we knock the walls down. We mm. put like a, it's it, what, it's only nine degree bank or something like that. So you could put like a, I don't know, 200 foot apron, like they have at Coda or Formula One tracks and then go. No, no, Ross, no, you're no not doing because that? then we're going to get into penalties for track limits. Track and limits. I hate that. That's, That's like, a whole other, right. yeah. You, oh, you yeah. could just do, do what they did in the board tracks in the twenties. You know, when they built you know, literal speedways, there was one in Hollywood, they built speedways out of two by fours and just like, there was no wall on the top. These big bank speedways yeah. were, you know, they were lapping at a hundred or 120 and there was no wall or fence at the top. They just painted a line at the top. And if you went over the line, you were dead. You're just not coming back. Yeah. Just yeah. Boop, off the edge. Yeah. <laughs> So wait, so how, so we were talking earlier about improv, right? How much room is there for improv in a, f- either in a fast lap at Indy in quali or in a fast lap at Indy in the race? How much does that factor in versus anywhere else or in any speedway for that matter? Ross, I, you I drove there. I, I don't know. Did you, I mean, improv I, it? Uh, <laughs> Did you just go into turn one and just go, I'll just sing it in here and see what happens? Uh, there was a moment where it's like, okay, I've got, I've got to do it flat and I'll deal with it. And yeah, it's, it, it gets your attention. <laughs> uh, but, but I think, uh, there does come a point at a place like that where you just have to, and, and by the way, this goes back to driving in the rain. You have to, you, you have to trust it and you have to trust yourself that, I'm going to send it in here and I'm going to deal with what happens. And, you know, again, the more, um, the more, uh, proactive you are with it, the better you're going to be rather than the simply, I'm just going to turn in and <laughs> I'll react to something. That's not a good way. But if you come in there and you know, you're kind of feeling the front and maybe even making the front kind of push a little bit 
and you know, I would be, if I was working with Jeff, I'd be like, Jeff, just give me enough understeer as I turn into turn one, that thing's not going to snap on me. And I'm going to build up to that. And I'm going to go, okay, now it's pushing. Now I'm flat. I'm flat. I'm flat. I'm flat. Okay. Now Jeff start to give me a little more front grip. And that's the process that you go through there, but it's, you have to trust yourself that you're going to be able to deal with that. And again, going back to driving the rain, it's the exact same thing. There comes a point in time where if you just simply go into a corner and go, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't believe that I can deal with whatever happens anyways, you're going to be slow and you're going to be tense. And when you're tense, you're not feeling the car. But if you go in there and go, I'm going to make the car do something, I got it. I can I can deal with this. So that's yeah. that to me is they're the same. Yep. It, 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 from a setup standpoint, like you said, give me a little understeer. That's what you do in the rain. When you do, Sam, you asked about setups. Yeah. One of the things you try to do is you try to make the car in the rain a little more understeery. So you'll soften the rear springs more than the front, or maybe you leave the fronts and just soften the rears because you want the driver to have a feel of what it's going to do. You don't, drivers hate things that change real quick or the unknown of what's going to happen next. If you give a driver a wildly oversteering car, but it always oversteers every place, every time, they can deal with that okay. Or a wildly understeering car. It's the one that changes mid-corner or changes from off the brake to turn in. That's what they don't like. So in the rain or at Indy, you give him that little understeer and he's like, okay, I got this. And then he gets used to that. And then you can start dialing some of that out. And it's the same thing with the rain. You can start dialing some of that understeer out. And like you said, Ross, in the rain, the nice thing about it is the driver can induce some of that himself if the car is not doing it for him. So when you're talking about the understeer and I'm thinking oversteer and I'm, I, you know, because we, I started off with a story about being at Westwood and as a teen going to Westwood in the seventies and the big race every year was the pro form Atlantic race. Mm-hmm. And I remember going there in 1976 and there was a young Canadian named Gilles Villeneuve <laughs> and, but there were other drivers like Bobby Rahal, Danny Sullivan, uh, KK Rosberg, uh, uh, Price Cobb. Um, Did you know I was at that race? Pardon me? I was at that race too. Were you? Yep. <laughs> I was like grunt mechanic on Bob Earl's car. Remember Bob oh, Earl? Bob Earl. Yeah. 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 I was yeah. at that race. Wow. Why didn't I see you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably because you were looking at all of the A-listers you just named off. Right. Going, that's in the film of. Uh, and I was the I guy do, but... schlepping tires back and forth and cleaning the car. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm standing down in the hairpin, which is, so the the circuit is only 1.8 miles long, but the far end of the track is a really tight hairpin corner. And they have a standing start. Villeneuve's on the pole. KK Rosberg is next to him. I forget, Bobby Ray Hall, Danny, all these guys are all lined up behind them. And we're down in the hairpin and you hear this, and they all take off, but they're way up at the other end of the track. So we can't quite see it but it is absolutely dumping down rain. And the way the back straight is, or was, there was there was a crest in the back straight that they called deer's leap. Unfortunately, every now and then a deer would leap across the track. Ba-dooms. And uh, Vilna pops up over the top of the hill, comes down in the hairpin, we're all like 
yeah, Villeneuve's in the lead. Where's everybody else? They must have all crashed. Villeneuve's in the hairpin, and then, boom, the rest of the pack comes over. And he's got like a five-second lead or more on the very first lap of the race. And then just manages to absolutely destroy the field. Again, all these other drivers who are amazing drivers. But in the rain, he was mad. He was the guy that, remember, he qualifying for the U.S. Grand Prix in the Ferrari, and I think it was 79, I think it was, when he and Jody Schechter were teammates. And in qualifying, his lap time was 11 seconds faster than Which the rest absurd. of the field. absurd. Just Jeez. absurd. And there were stories of drivers, like, parked in, in the rain. This is in the rain. Drivers, you know, again, Jody Schechter, uh, you know, I can't remember all the other Formula One world champions at that time. You know, they a few of them got out of their car and walked down the turn one to watch it. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> because they're like... We can't they- believe that that's possible. But, you know, Villeneuve grew up racing snowmobiles. Yeah. So the idea of being, first of all, blind by snow and everything and being sideways and sliding and that comfort level, he was so comfortable with that that he just made the car dance. <laughs> and other drivers, again, even those drivers of that level or that caliber are kind of going, what's the car going to do? Yep. And waiting for it a little bit. So, you know, wow. yeah, I'd love to just say, go drive like Villeneuve. What, go, what, I, yeah. <laughs> what I love about that, and, and like I, I, there was a period several years ago at one of the magazines I worked at, I ended up with um, a login for one of the photo wire services, you know, where you can go online, it's like Getty or LAT or any of the other image services. You can just type in anything like 1955 Olympics or 1979 Monaco, yada, yada, and pull up just hundreds of pictures on it. And you can't do anything with a high res unless you pay for something, but you can get into the archive and look at all this stuff. And so I built, I built, started building a folder at one point of shots of Villeneuve in an F1 car sideways. And I mean, the guy spent, this is Mike, our producer. When was he not sideways? Right, right. <laughs> the fact that there, you know, the notion that there are people who are just ape for this, who are naturals at it. But also the notion that it can be taught and that there's, you know, everybody's inherently some mix of it. Like half the pictures of Villeneuve that were in this giant millions and millions and millions photo archive were of him in some, you know, 70s F1 car with like arms crossed up lock on it. You know, all the shots in Monaco where the tire was coming off the rim in the back, like just peeling, tire peeling off the barrel of the wheel. And the guy's still sideways loose, just driving the hell out of it. And, And you look at it and you think about that. You mentioned... Snowmobiles. My friend, um, my friend Jacques Driesang out of Wisconsin. His, uh, they're big in vintage Indy cars and no AR and the gurneys fairly well. Have a couple of old vintage Eagles. Really, really nice guys. But his dad, Rick, grew up in Wisconsin and somehow intersected at one point with Villeneuve when he was racing snowmobiles. And at one point I was like, so, so wait, so you ran snowmobiles with Gilles? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. And he pulls out pictures and he's got these, you know, they're all wearing giant snowsuits and then these vintage seventies machines that kind of look like, you know, dead transformers on the, on the snow. <laughs> and I looked at him, I'm like, well, what was he like on a snowmobile? And he went exactly the same as he was in a car. <laughs> it's just like, this is just how some people are, but I yeah. love the idea that you can learn it. And it's, I, you know, because I've seen people do it, right? It's uh, your your Villeneuve story, Ross, reminded me again. I was got to go 
hang out with the AAR guys. This was must have been 67, 68 Canadian Grand Prix at Mossport. So yeah. AAR as an All-American Racers. All-American Racers. Dan Gurney. Dan Gurney. Dan Gurney, Dan Gurney, like stock cars, right. Indy cars. Got to go there with him and hang out in his garage area. How, garage oh, how, area oh, wait, how, how, how did this happen? Oh, that's amazing. a longer story. Um, the short, <laughs> the, the short <laughs> version, the short, one? the short version is big fans. They had a all, uh, they had a thing called the Eagle Club. Yeah. So that was back in the day before, long before the internet or instant or social media. And they had fan clubs. People had fan clubs. The Eagle Club was the All-American Racers fan club, basically. You'd pay your 15 bucks a year and you would get a newsletter every month about how they did in the Formula One race at Nürburgring and how they're doing with their IndyCar. And you'd get a newsletter, you'd get a patch and a sticker and, and a newsletter for 15 bucks. So, of course, we joined. Then they had a contest. Whoever could sell the most memberships to the Eagle Club got an all-expense-paid trip to the USGP at Watkins Glen to be a guest of Dan. So, <laughs> me and my brother hit, we were like seven or eight, we hit every grandparent relation, every house, every everybody we could, knocking on the doors for two months trying to win this sell the most memberships and we won gurney girl scout cookies basically that's amazing that's (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly and two little kids you know an eight-year-old and a six-year-old 15 we're supporting race car american racing team to go against all these big bad europeans like we're going against like german guys and french guys and italian guys and they're like oh yeah america america here's 15 bucks and they could care less but it was two kids Good sales pitch trying to support america <laughs> and so we anyway we won went there met dan i was racing go-karts and he took a super big interest in in my racing and stuff like that. And we became really good friends. We can tell the rest of the story later, but that's how I got into, into know those guys. So we're at the at Mossport. We're hanging out with Dan. End of the day, it was a rainy, one of those rainy days at Mossport, like pouring down rain. Everybody's got their, no, what was it? Pierre's garage had that bubble shield. Remember? Mm, yeah. The guys yeah. wore goggles back in the day, but he put that bubble shield so the rain would go around. Anyway, we're, uh, Jim Clark, smokes everybody he's like two and a half seconds faster than everybody else that day in the lotus faster than graham hill his teammate and everybody else we're driving out of the racetrack going back to our hotel and we got the radio on and they're interviewing chris amon who was second quickest and he was driving the ferrari at the time chris amon pretty good driver i mean like really good and they're and they're like well chris you were like two and a half seconds slower than jim clark he goes, what, what do you think? Is the Ferrari, you know, just not quite as good in the wet or then the Lotus or what, what do you think? And Chris goes, well, did you ever think that Jim Clark is just two and a half seconds better than the rest of us? <laughs> and that always stuck with me because here's a guy who, you know, he's in the top 10 drivers in the world. He's just like, nope, Jim Clark's just better. Yeah. Sorry. That's just why he's faster. <laughs> What do they, what do they call it in MotoGP an alien, right? Where you're just right. like, yeah. just gone, yeah. just nothing. Right. But yeah. So anyway, that's driving in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think that's a good note to wrap up. Well, uh, thanks guys. And mazel tov on the first, uh, NDQ on it's not the car.
Thanks yeah, for bringing it, it over. That you was fun, it? and I'm glad that we started with rain. <laughs> yes. Right. Me too. Me too. <laughs> we, we, we went off course a little bit, but we, we got back to rain. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, sure. Off track. Well, thanks for tuning in, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Keep having fun. 